morning. Well, I, I hope we have a happy crowd this morning. Uh, you know, when Colin set off the start, um, we're the ones that didn't go to Florida for spring break, okay? But we're not bitter, are we? No, no, we're glad we're here. Uh, <laughs> oh, my. Listen, just, uh, just before we start, uh, I, I want to encourage you. To know Jesus Christ, there is nothing better in the whole world than to know him and to have our destiny sealed by him. And, and when you've experienced this, um, you know, God says your responsibility is now to share this with other people. And um, we're coming up in three weeks on Easter and Easter is just, it's a time when people who don't normally go to church will go to church. And I want to encourage you as our church family to, to really reach out to somebody and invite them to come out for one of our services, a Good Friday or Easter Sunday. And I trust that as they hear this incredible story of our faith and what God has done in Christ, that God would stir something in some people who have not experienced what we've experienced. Can you help us by doing that? And let's just fill this house uh, with people who would be inclined to come out at Easter, but maybe not at another time except Christmas. And so, you know, Christmas is like, it's still, you know, nine months away. So (laughs) Easter is in the picture. What a great opportunity. And you would uh, would, uh, help us so much if you would do that. Uh, Something else that I I just want to say to you too is um, uh, you you may not know, but through the Canada Summer Jobs Program, we receive funding as a church. It helps us in uh, providing some employment uh, for some of our young people, and they do an incredible job being mentored by Pastor Verna and in our children's ministry and in our camps. And, uh, you know, we have really appreciated that. There's been a little twist this year, and it's this, uh, that the government has uh, put a couple of uh, uh, conditions on uh, the funding that they will do. And part of that uh, has, is a problem for us uh, because uh, what is, they've asked us to attest to some statements uh, about... Uh, uh, being supportive of the notion of abortion, uh, various uh, sexual preference issues, same-sex marriage, and we can't in good conscience do that. And, um, and so th- what this means for us is uh, they, they reject our, uh, our application, and the, some of the funding that has helped us in the past, uh, we don't have. And um, so I ask you to pray for that. We, uh, and I, I spoke to our member of parliament, excuse me, and, uh, uh, or, or her uh, assistant, and I sent a letter just expressing our concern and that we really want to have integrity, that we're not going to check off a box just for the sake of checking off a box. You can't buy us. You can't ask us to submit to something that we in good conscience can't do. And so I just ask you to uh, pray for us and, uh, and, and pray for us. And, and maybe there's a willingness uh, 
that we have extra people that can step up and help us as we look at our, uh, our camp programs in the, in the summer as well. So we appreciate your, uh, your support of that. And um, I got to tell you, um, here's, here's what I, I feel like. Um, the very air that we breathe, the, the very environment in which we live um, is not God's environment. The values that are propagated and uh, those kind of things, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. We talked about truth matters. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of pressures on us to comply, and particularly with our children. Um, our, our children are asked to be tolerant, a.k.a. Uh, to be accepting and promoting and validating things that the Bible declared to be wrong and immoral. And we can't do that. And um, uh, you feel the pressure. And, and so what we're, what we're doing is in two weeks um, Saturday, uh, we have uh, Scott Steen coming uh, to share with us. Our, our philosophy of ministry to children is this. God gives you as parents the responsibility for raising your children in faith. He didn't give that to the church. Um, but what our role is, is to support you, to equip you, uh, to furnish you with resources, to help you in the task that you're doing. See, we only have your kids for about 50 hours a year. But you have them for like 2,500 hours a year. And so we realize that you have far more... Uh, invested in your children. You have far more influence in your children. And so what we want to do is we want to equip you to be able to parent in a godly way, wisely, and to put some tools into your hands. So Scott will be coming uh, from Prepared to Answer. And um, I encourage you, uh, parents, uh, grandparents, and just adults in our congregation to come and hear uh, as he shares for us a biblical understanding of some of these topics and to give us some tools that will help us uh, to sensitively and with integrity move ahead. Can you, I I just want to make a really a special appeal to you to be a part of that and invite somebody else to come uh, that would find that helpful. Can you do that? We would so much appreciate it. Uh, This is uh, our, um, our work to help equip you to be and to do all that God wants you to. Thank you so much. Frank Abagnale was a master con man. Uh, He was most ingenious. His parents had split up when he was uh, in his mid-teens. And uh, his dad was a little bit of a con man, too, and he learned a bit from his dad, but he so surpassed his father. At 16, he began to masquerade as a Pan American uh, Airlines pilot. He got a hold of a a uniform. Uh, He uh, forged uh, documents and ID, and here he was for like about a year. He is traveling free as a co-pilot. Guy, guy knows nothing about flying, but he tricked them into believing that he was a legitimate pilot. Uh, he forged checks and got paid 
week after week after week, got paid. And then when things got a little bit hot for him uh, and he, he was getting found out, he moved on to posing as a doctor in Georgia. And for a year, he was working as a doctor in a hospital. Now, you say, that's crazy. Well, I want to tell you, I, I came, we came from London here, and there was a guy in London who was posing as a doctor in University Hospital in London. I, for months, he got away with that. This guy is for a year in Georgia serving as a doctor, and he was in a kind of supervisory role, and he just, he just kind of hit it. And, well, what would you do? Okay, well, and, and, and he got away with it. Well, finally, they started catching up with him there. So he went into law, and he was faking it that he was a lawyer. And in fact, um, he actually passed bar exams. Uh, and they don't know how he did all of this kind of thing. Well, well this, was, uh, this was put into a movie called Catch Me If You Can. Uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. And what happened was they did catch up to him and they did get him and they put him in in prison. But he served, I think, about five years and they brought him out and had him begin to work for the FBI in their their, uh, uh, division uh, to to find uh, cheats. And so, I mean, to me, it's fascinating that a guy could do that. I mean, he was an expert at fooling people and and masking who he really was and pretending to be something he was not. You know, some people are able to fake faith. They're able to to put on a good show, and you would think that they're... They're Christians, they're believers, um, they're able to play the role and convince others and, and, and of the genuineness of their faith. The first church I pastored, I found that in, in the history of the church, there was a guy who, who came into the church and he was just such um, a, a wonderful preacher and he and his wife and, and their daughter just fit into the church and served and he, he was getting onto the leadership of the church, and the thing was, the whole thing was a scam. It wasn't his wife, it was her child, and here he was preaching, and everybody is cooing about this guy, how wonderful he is, but he was a fake, and he was a fraud. You know, the Apostle John was uh, concerned about uh, a group of people that had been in the church that were spiritual fakes. They were false prophets, they were pretenders, they were deceivers, they were antichrists, they were liars, he said. He, he minces no words talking about them. And John wanted his flock to be protected from people like this. And he wanted them to be able to distinguish true faith from this phony kind of faith, this fake faith. And he also wanted us to be able to look at our own lives and know, were we genuine Christians or are we just playing the game? Do we know what to say and how to fit in, but really on the inside, uh, we don't, we're not really there. It's fascinating to me to think about Judas Iscariot. How this guy could be with Jesus for three and a half years, how he could preach and do miracles and all the rest, and, and that he is... And was a fake. And, and that at the time when Jesus said at the Last Supper, one of you is, is going to betray me. And everybody didn't go, it's Judas. They said, is it I, Lord? It's certainly it's not I. It's, nobody suspected him. 
And, and so John wants us to understand what genuine faith is. He wants us to understand and to be able to look at our own lives and have assurance that we are truly God's children, that we are genuine in our faith. And uh, to be able to examine our lives and to come and have that kind of certainty and security in our relationship with God. Do you know that God doesn't want you to suffer from spiritual insecurity? God doesn't want you to to be uh, fearful and, oh, I don't know whether I'm a true Christian. I don't know whether God accepts me. I don't know whether if I died tomorrow and I had to meet God as my judge, would he accept me and all the rest of that. He wanted us to have a deep sense of certainty uh, that we are his children, to revel in his love and his acceptance of us, of being his child and under his protection and his wonderful provision. He wants us to have a deep sense of our status as his children. And so he gave us some, uh, some tests. We look at the first one. It was the, uh, we called the gospel test. And that is, if we believe uh, what God says about his son, that Jesus came to die on the cross for us, that if we put our faith in him who died for us and who rose again, and, and we trust that alone, we are his children. That was one objective test. He also had a truth test, and that is, do you believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is? That he is the Messiah, he's the Christ, that he's the Son of God, he's God the Son, he is fully God, and that he's also fully human. He is the God-man. And he said, if you don't believe this stuff, it's important because truth matters, and you're a false you're a pretender. You're not a real believer. And then last week, we began to look at and talk about some not objective, but subjective tests about us. And we talked about the moral test. That is, our life needs to give some kind of evidence to the faith that we have. And, and uh, so we talked about this moral test, that you can't live a life in wanton disregard for God and his, uh, his ways, uh, God and his, uh, his truth, his commands to sin willfully and keep sinning and sinning and sinning without regret. You can't be a Christian and do that. And so we talked about that last week, that we need to live rightly, that our lifestyle should give us encouragement that we are following God's ways. He said, uh, to be, sin is lawlessness. And, uh, and we don't live that kind of way. We want to live to please God. So there's another subjective test we want to look at today, and that is what I want to call the love test. That you can have assurance of your salvation uh, when you see yourself loving other believers. So here it is. Genuine believers love one another. Genuine believers love one another. So in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, here's what John says. Dear friends, in fact, that really is, the word for that is beloved. You ones that I, that I love, dear, dear beloved, dear friends, let us love one another. He's talking about the body of Christ, that we need to love one another. He says, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He says here, genuine believers love each other. 
And he gives us this truth. There is a call, there's a command for us to love each other. It wasn't optional. He says, this is what I want of you. If you're going to follow me, you need to follow my command. And my command is this, you need to love one another. And uh, you know what? Jesus, uh, in, in calling for this, often Jesus will help us understand, and, and John helps us understand here, the basis of that. That to love one another um, is, is a message that, that he had. You know what, what amazes me? The 35 times in this little letter, five little chapters, 35 times the word love appears. Um, it, it seemed like this thing must be really important for the amount of times that we see it there. It's saturated with love. John says in John 3.11 that this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. He keeps batting, uh, he keeps going over this and over this. So Jesus it often tells us not only what to do, but he gives us some basis for doing it. And he says, Here, here's, here's the deal with this. God is the source of love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. That's what he says. Love comes from God. God is the source of all love. Where does love come from? It's God and God alone. And not only is, God, is love sourced in God, but God is love. God, is, God personifies love. It's who he is. Everything he does, he does in love. He saves in love. He protects in love. He provides in love. He judges in love. Everything God does is controlled by his character, and he is love. Now, it's interesting. There are four times in the Bible that it says God is something. God is love. It happens two times in this chapter. Um, God is love. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what uh, the, the other ones are in, in 1 John 1, 5. God is light. God is light, and in him is no darkness. Uh, how, about, how about this one? God is spirit, John 4, 24. God is spirit. He, he doesn't have a physical body. Now, we worship him in spirit and in truth. And the last one is, you ready for this one? God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy uh, 12 and 29. God is a consuming fire. These are important statements about God. And he says, God is love. So whoever loves is born of God. So when you see yourself loving, when you see yourself loving um, fellow brothers and sisters in the family of God, you realize you've been born of God. You have his DNA. We talked last week about being like God uh, because we're his children. We bear that family resemblance. And God is love. And so when you're born of God, uh, you're going to see in your life uh, love. And, And he says... Uh, he, he says that, that we are his children. And not only that, we know him. See, to know him is to be in relationship with him. To have an intimate, close relationship that's personal. And he says, when you see yourself loving, you know you're born of God because the Father is love. And, and you, you know also, not only is that, but you have a relationship with him. Now, in contradistinction... He, he, uh, to a person who's not a believer, he says this, anyone who does not love does not know God. He's not a child of God. So one way you can look at your life and ask the question, do I love fellow Christians? And we'll kind of flesh this out a little more. And if I don't love 
I'm not a child of God. My life, if I'm a believer, is a life that's marked by love for fellow Christians. And there is a distinction. You have people who are in and out. You have a people, people who love or don't love. They're accepted by God or they're not accepted by God. But here's the thing. Talk is cheap. It's one thing to claim that you're something. It's one thing to uh, affirm it and, and to, ha- to claim an attribute. It's another thing to demonstrate it. And so we see, secondly, God demonstrates his love. God demonstrates his love. God shows his love. He, he makes it visible. He makes it concrete. He puts up. He doesn't just talk the talk. So in 1 John, 9, uh, 1 John 4, verses 9 to 11, he says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, God put up. God showed his love, and it was historically expressed in Jesus Christ, God's Son, coming to earth as, uh, as, a, uh, as God the Son, and uh, came and took on humanity, became one of us, uh, left the glory, left the blessing uh, and splendor of heaven, and, and came and lived among us like, like a peasant. He lived among us, And he gave his life to die on a cross for us. Uh, He came to save the world. God sent his son into the world. Uh, He sacrificed his son. He gave his son. So as per God's example here, um, because God shows this, he says this, that we ought also to live like that. He, He says my beloved ones, he says, this is how you need to live. We ought to love one another. See, God showed his love. It, you know, sometimes don't you get sick of people who talk a talk, but they, there's nothing in their life that backs it up? And he back, God backs it up. God backs it up historically. He backs it up in terms of his ongoing love for us. But, but thirdly, God's love is in us Because God is in us. Look at verses 12 to 18. God's love is in us because God is in us. His love is in us because he is there. And uh, he says in, in verse 12, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. That is, when you see, uh, when you have God who is the invisible God, he's a spirit God. You can't touch him, you can't feel him, you can't grab him. But, but when you love one another, it shows that God lives in you. Why? Because God is love. And his love is made complete in us. That is, his love is perfected. His love is demonstrated. His love is lived out in our life. It's not just something we talk about. it. It's something that God does. He loves through us. He makes that love complete in that we put it into practice. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. So when God is in us, he's in us by the spirit of God. 
And uh, continue on here. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You know, he said this. Uh, you remember, you remember the, the truth test? If, if you don't accept that I'm the Messiah, if you don't accept that I'm truly God, if you don't accept that I am fully human as well, he kind of, he kind of cycles back here and he says that um, you, Jesus is the Son of God and he lives in them. And if you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, that was one of those truth tests that proved that the people were genuine believers. He lives in them, and they live in God. Next. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Now, see how this works out. So if love is in you, God is the essence of love. So you can't love without God's love being in you. So if love is in you, that means God is in you. But it goes also in this way. We are in God. We live in God. We live in love. God lives in us. And we've got this beautiful fellowship. We've got this expression of God's presence and his work in our life that makes us loving people. And so when we see that, uh, when, when we, he says, whoever lives, lives in God. And we know and we rely on the love of God. God is in us. God is working in us. And we see that uh, played out in terms of the love that we have for one another. And, and what this does is this assures us and convinces us of God's love. Next slide, please. This is how the love of God is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. See, we're talking about assurance. We say, how can I know? How can I have confidence? If I'm going to face God someday and I'll stand in the, His awesome presence, how, you know, how do I know I'm okay? Well, he says, when you see this love in your life, when you see it made complete, well, you see it worked out in your life, where you begin to love others and sacrifice for others and help others. He says, this is the love that's made complete so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment, so that when we stand in God's presence, we're not afraid of what's going to happen to us. Because in this world, if we're loving, we're like Jesus in this world. And there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So he says this, you can stand before God and respectfully have confidence because God's love is in you. And and, and that gives you confidence on the day of judgment and there's no fear. What, What a terrible thing to have this sense of fear. Um, you know what? I have, as a pastor uh, over 30 years, uh, have had the opportunity to sit with dying people on, on many, many occasions. And it's interesting to see people when they know they're coming to the end of their life. And I, uh, I remember uh, a year ago now, um, a friend of mine, we went through college together. We both pastored and in, in towns that weren't far from each other. We, we had a, a long, ongoing relationship through our ministry. And, and uh, my friend Peter uh, was dying of cancer. And I went to see him. It was about two weeks before he died. And uh, there was a hospital bed in his, uh, in his uh, house. 
he had four children, basically all grown, and, uh, and a wife, and, you know, such a difficult time. And we sat, and we talked, and we reminisced, and we laughed, and we, we thought about things that we had done together. We had ministered together on a few occasions, and we, we just kind of surveyed God's goodness in what he had done. And, and my friend looked at me, and he said, you know, Kev... I'm going home really soon. And, uh, and there was no fear. There was no, nothing, there was no worry. Uh, because there was confidence. And when you have the love of God in you, he says, there's this confidence you have because you know that God is operational in your life because you know only God could do that because God alone is love. And God works his love into our life. And so we have this incredible calm um, as, as, we, as we confront our mortality, as we confront passing from this life and going into the presence of the Lord. And he could smile and he could laugh. Oh, he was sad. Of course he was sad. He didn't want to leave his wife and his kids. But there was a confidence and a calm that he had. He had known the love of God. He had known God's love to him. He he'd expressed it also. Well, God's love needs to be demonstrated in our lives. God's love needs to be demonstrated in our lives. He says in first uh, John four, nineteen to twenty one, we love because he first loved us. This, this this love didn't come from us. We only love because he first loved. We didn't know love outside of him in that way. Whoever claims to, be, to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He, he, he says this. You can't be a believer without loving. And he says, it's so easy to say, I love God. A God that I can't touch, I can't see, I can't feel. You say you love God that you haven't seen. I'm asking, he says, that's bogus. If you say that you love God, but it's not born out in your life, you don't love people, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a liar. He didn't mince words on this. But, But he says, if you love God... You will, of necessity, love your brother and sister in the Lord. If you you say you love him, you're a fake if it's not lived out in your life. You can't say that. You're a liar. It's it's so easy to make a claim about something that we can't prove. You know, when I I think about this, I think about Jesus Jesus with the, uh, the paralytic man that got left, let down uh, from the roof. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven you. And the, and the religious leaders are going, yeah, who's he? He can't say that. And how could you tell that he, he was, uh, sins were forgiven? But he says that you might know. Get up and walk. And he did. See, you, you can talk about things that can't be proven. But he says there's, there's more than that. There's, there's putting uh, experience, there's putting uh, concrete love 
to work in that. And so you say, I love God, and you show that by loving others. You show that God's love is in you by loving others because talk is cheap. And love from God, real love, acts. It, it works. It, 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 it's proven. See, love is such an important and critical thing in the Bible and to God and to our faith. Jesus was asked by the religious leaders, hey, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? You know, the, the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And so they said, like, give us, give us the, the number one. If, if you had to pick one, what would it be? And Jesus says in uh, Matthew 22, He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love God. That's the most important commandment. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, when I want to sum up for you what God wants from you, everything God wants for you, love him with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. On these All the commandments hang. Everything hangs on that. Well, it's interesting to me that that's so important that loving others, Jesus would would include that in the top two. But it's interesting that he further reduces that from two to one. In James 2 and verse 8, James says this, If you really keep the royal law found in in Scripture... Love your neighbors yourself, you're doing right. He said, you know what, I I can reduce everything to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there's another place where everything is consolidated in one commandment, and that's in Galatians 5.14. And it says this, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. You want to satisfy God? One commandment will do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. The first commandment is to love God with the totality of your being. Yes. The second command is not only to love God, but to love others. You say, how can you say that if you love your neighbors yourself? I mean, that, that's not even including God. See, the thing is, you can't love. You can't love your neighbor unless you love God. You can't love your neighbor unless God has filled your heart with his love. You can't please God if you don't love your neighbor. And, and so he distills it down to that one thing. See, love is the spiritual litmus test of God's children and followers of Jesus who, who look to, to see, are they measuring up? And he says, here's the test. The test is love. Do you love fellow believers? And uh, uh, he, here's the thing, that, that the church makes Jesus visible in the world. The church makes Jesus visible in the world. And here's what Jesus said, here's how I want them to be able to identify you. And so he says in uh, John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have a love for one another. He said, I want to put my people on display to represent me, to show me, and to show, 
to show what really it looks like when people follow Jesus Christ. This is what I had intended. Uh, and, And here it is. I want them to know that you are my followers, that you represent and you make Jesus visible in the world by virtue of the love that you have for one another. So that when people come into this place, when people are confronted with us, they should notice that there's something different about us. And what's supposed to be different is the love that we have for one another. I want to ask you a question. When people come in here, you may, you may not yet be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a guest here today and it's your first time here. He says, I want you to be notable on this account that you guys love each other. Because you can't love each other if you don't have God's love in you. And he says, I want, I want to mark my people with this. And where you see that kind of love, you see genuine faith. But I want to, uh, I want to also uh, tell you this. We haven't all made it to our final place. So, you know, we look at our life and say, maybe I, I don't love like I should love. Maybe, maybe I'm not there. No, tr- you, if you're in process, you should see progress in, in your walk with God. I want you to think about the guy who wrote this. John. John, one of the twelve. John, one of the three. James and John and Peter. We're kind of the executive, if you will, of the, of the uh, apostles. And, and John was called the, the, the apostle of love. He was dubbed the apostle of love. But he wasn't always the apostle of love. He and his brother were called the sons of thunder. They were, they were like tough, rough and tumble guys. Uh, they were brash. They were aggressive. They were self-seeking and self-serving. They wanted major positions. They were, they were willing to step over their fellow apostles to get to places of positions of power and influence. Uh, when they had people who, who uh, were uh, trying to cast out uh, demons in Jesus' name, they said, hey, we'll stop them. They're not of us. We'll, we'll get after these people. When the Samaritans wouldn't welcome Jesus, they said, let's, let's call down fire from heaven and let's just scorch them all. And you're going like, oh, Jesus is going, my guys, you don't get this. That's the guy who's writing this. That's what he used to be. But that's not what he ended up because his, his life was flooded with God's love. John was gripped by the love of God, and he, he spoke more about the love of God. He, he couldn't stop talking about the love of God. And in fact, in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, see what, kind, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Man, God's love blew him away. John, that disciple, he never lost the wonder of that, and he promoted and promoted loving one another. John was the only disciple to live into old age and probably to die a natural death. He's writing this like 50, 60 years after his time with Jesus. He's an old man now. And uh, uh, he, was, he was in the church of Ephesus, from what we can tell from, from historical documents. And he was so old that they would carry him into the assembly and they would set 
the old apostle John down. And he would repeat this over and over again. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. And, and he was asked, um, why, is it, why is it that you keep repeating that, John? Why do you keep saying that to us? He said, it's the Lord's command. And if, it is done, if this is only done, it is enough. Man, he got it. And to his dying, with his dying breath, he called God's people to love one another. See, and the sign that you are a genuine child of God is the love that you have for the body of Christ, that you care for them. And, and I want you to know that he, he never stopped there either. Because he tells us, he calls us to, to not, only, not only love each other. He told us to love our neighbor. And our neighbors, anybody who's within proximity to us and anybody that we can help. He says, yeah, love one another. That's, I want my people to be seen for that. But, but love your neighbor as well. So when you see somebody hurting and you can help, you do something about that. And if you thought that wasn't bad enough, Jesus went further and he extended that to his enemies. And so it says in, in uh, Luke 6 and 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your roar will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because God is love. He's kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And he wants to mark his own children by the love that we have. So what evidence is there in your life that you are a child of God, what evidence is there that you are so consumed with God's love that's in you that your brothers and sisters, you are there for them, you're there to help them, you're there to encourage them, to pray for them, to provide practical assistance. You would sacrifice yourself for them. See, this is what a follower of Christ looks like. And, and, uh, and we have opportunities to, to demonstrate before the world how much we love one another and how distinct we are. And, um, you know, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, wrote about seeing the persecution of, of believers. And what really struck their persecutors was, boy, they really love each other. And this is love. That God's love so floods our soul. In Romans 5, 5, it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Do you see evidence of that in your life? Now, maybe there's some things that you're thinking about that you could be doing, that you haven't been doing, but you recognize that God's, God's love in you will overflow to others. And, he, and they will know we're his disciples. And we'll know we're his disciples because of the love that we have for one another. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your incredible love that we've been um, reading about and hearing scriptures about and singing about. Thank you for what it means to be in the body of Christ. 
Thank you for what it means to be in a loving assembly. And Father, I pray that you would grow that love in us for one another, that we would reach out and extend ourselves and sacrifice ourselves and help each other. Thank you for things that we do like Toronto Alliance where we go down and practically express and, and demonstrate that love in helping poor people. But Father, I just pray that you would grow that love in us and that people who would come in here would say, oh, how they love one another to the glory of God and to the honor of our Savior, whose we are. We pray, amen.